All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to See Me Church. I'm Joe Collins. It's great to be here with you today. I uh, wanted to thank the two brothers for uh, preaching to us last week at the Father's Day pancake breakfast and, and park service. Both Johns did a great job, and I really appreciate the message they brought. It was really encouraging. Now, uh, we are in our series, Jesus Worth Following. And uh, last time I spoke to you, we talked about the importance of remembering. We went through the whole Last Supper and how Jesus, at that Last Supper, used it as an opportunity to teach His disciples and all of us who are followers of His to remember Him. The Jewish people at the time, they remembered the path, the exodus, the, the, their freedom from slavery in Egypt. But Jesus took that memory, that, that moment, that uh, celebration, that, that uh, memorialized the exodus, and he changed it for followers of his to be a time when they are to remember him. And that's what we did during our time of worship and communion. It's why we put so much time and energy into that, because we really believe that taking communion together, remembering Jesus Christ, the commitment uh, that we made to Him and the commitment He made to us, the covenant He He made to us, uh, is that important. And so it's a big part of our worship uh, every Sunday. Today, I want to talk about uh, trying again. You've all heard the phrase, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. So there was this guy, he was a salesman, he was on his sales route and he was driving through a countryside and he drove by a, a house and there was a sign outside and the house said, talking dog for sale. The sign said that. And so he, he thought for a minute, wait, did, did that just say what I thought it said? So he turned around, he went back to the house and sure enough, the sign said, talking dog for sale. So he went up to the door, he knocked on the door and he said, uh, you know, you have a sign in front of your house that says talking dog for sale. Is, is that true? And the, the owner said, yep, sure is. And he goes, well, I got to see this dog. And he goes, yeah, no problem. He's, he's in the backyard. Just go around the side. There'll be a tree back there. He's probably sitting under the tree. So the guy goes, okay. He goes into the backyard. He's standing there. He sees the tree. He goes up. There's the dog. Dog looks at him. He looks at the dog. He kind of looks around. He goes, uh, can you talk? And the dog says, well, yeah, I can talk. Now, the guy is, you know, recovering from this shock that this dog actually talked to him. So after a few minutes, he, he kind of gets his bearings and he goes, you, you got to tell me your story. And the dog says, well, I figured out I could talk at a very, very young age. And I wanted to serve my country, so I volunteered to work for the CIA. And man, for many, many years, I traveled the world. And I can't tell you how many times I was spying on all kinds of different uh, uh, world leaders. I would sit in the room. They thought I was just a regular dog, but I could listen to everything they were saying. Then I would come back and report it back. And, you know, I did that for many, many years, but the travel got tiring. It was exhausting. So I wanted to slow down. So I moved back here, back home, and I got a job at the local airport working for the TSA. Can't tell you how many drug lords and terrorists and other criminals I caught because they had no idea I could listen to everything they were saying. I've been awarded medals. I've been honored with citations. The guy sat there staring at this dog and he thought, this, this is absolutely incredible. So he went back into the house. Sorry, the dog said, you know, but I got tired of that and I wanted to start a family. And so I had some pups, got married, had some pups. They've all moved on and now I'm retired and I just live here under this tree in the backyard. So the guy says, oh, amazing. I got to go talk to your owner. So he goes up to the house. 
He says, listen, that dog can talk. And the guy goes, I know. And he goes, well, how much do you want for him? And the owner says, $10. And the guy goes, you've got to be kidding me. This dog can talk. Why would you give him away for so cheap? And the owner said, because he's a liar. He's never left the backyard. (laughs) If anyone ever tells you that the Christian life is easy, they're lying to you. They've never even tried to live it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time this morning. Speak to us through your word. Help us to be inspired. Help us to connect to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to read Mark chapter 14. We're going to start in verse uh, 26. But before we do, I want to want to refresh our memory of the timeline. We're in the last week of Jesus's life. It's Thursday night. It's probably late Thursday night, early Friday morning. Let's just say somewhere around midnight between Thursday and Friday of the last week of Jesus's life. He had entered the city on Sunday, the triumphal entry with crowds cheering, calling him the Messiah. He went into the temple on Monday. He cleansed it and called down uh, the, the destruction of the temple and the religious system. Then he Tuesday got into all kinds of arguments because of what he said on Monday. Wednesday, he took the day off. Then Thursday was the feast of the unleavened bread and the beginning of Passover. There was a lot going on on Thursday. They had to come back into the city to celebrate Passover. They had a meal. That meal was long. There was lots going on during that meal. We talked about it last week. Then after that meal was over, we pick up our story in verse 26. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, if you look at our map, we have a little, very simple map of the, of, of Jerusalem at the time. And you'll see at the bottom left, there's a red dot says upper room. This is the traditional site of where people believe the actual last supper occurred. Some upper room in a house in the upper part of the city of Jerusalem. And when the meal was over, it was relatively late that night and they began heading their way out to the Mount of Olives. Now, the disciples, I would guess, were thinking that they were on their way back to Bethany because that's where they would stay the night each night. So as they were walking, they would have to walk through the city of Jerusalem, through the temple, and then out the the gate. And that uh, green line is the road. That road would go down into what was called the Kidron Valley. And then once you got to the bottom, you went up the other side. And you'll notice there on the right, it says the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus was making this journey with his disciples walking through the city, I want you to be there for a minute. I want you to, I want you to feel the moment for a minute because they had been through a lot with Jesus for two and a half, three years. They had seen miracles. He had fed thousands. He had walked on water. He raised people from the dead. He healed countless people. He taught incredible messages. Just a couple of days before, he took on the religious leaders and, and beat them down embarrassingly in front of the crowds. I mean, that must have been an incredible experience to be with Jesus. And, and here it is. It's kind of climaxing. It's incredible. They're in the city. Everybody wants to, to know him. The crowds love him. They know people are out to get him. It's a a crazy time. And as they're walking through the city, the tone begins to change. Jesus' demeanor begins to change. It becomes very intense, somber, serious. Verse 27. You will all fall away. 
This is what he says as he's walking through the city on the way toward the Mount of Olives. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered today. Yes, tonight before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter, but Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. You can't blame them. I mean, they, they're on cloud nine. They, they, this is an incredible three-year run. And it is amazing all the things they've seen and done and experienced. And, and as they're heading out, it just seems to be getting serious. That the, whole, the whole experience seems to be getting heavy. And suddenly Jesus declares, you guys are all going to abandon me. You're all going to fall away. You could imagine the disciples being a bit defensive, being a bit upset. Wait a second. We're not going to do that. We've been with you all this time. We've seen all these great things. We're never going to leave you. We're never going to abandon you. And they all make this promise. You know, that word there, fall away, is an interesting word. It's kind of troubling. It's tricky. We've used a similar term today. We say this phrase, fall away, and it's even tricky for us sometimes because what does it really mean? In, in, in the Bible, the word for fall away in the Greek is scandalizo. It's where we get our word scandal. It's used 20-something times throughout the Bible. But the interesting thing about the word, what makes the word tricky, is that it, it has a wide range of meanings, kind of like how we use it. <laughs> it has a wide range of meanings. It could mean anywhere from to stumble, like a momentary loss of balance, or in our context, a momentary loss of faith, all the way up to denying Jesus Christ, like deserting the faith altogether, becoming apostate, and leaving the faith. That's how broad the definition of the word was. Now, when we read this passage, it seems to me, it, it jumps out to me that the disciples, Peter first off and the rest of them, they seem to think that Jesus' intent was to say that they were going to abandon him, they were going to desert the faith. I mean, the only way to understand the word fall away or scandalizo is to understand its context. And in the context, the disciples seem to be thinking that Jesus is saying, you guys are going to disown me. You're going to leave me. You're going to abandon me. You're going to desert me. You're going to fall away, leave the faith. It explains why they got so defensive, why they responded the way they did. But the question is, did Jesus actually mean the most extreme definition of the word? And for me, I don't think he did because of what he said. I will strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered, but after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. There seems to be an indication in Jesus' words here that something traumatic was about to happen. He knew something traumatic was about to happen. They didn't. And he knew that it would be so traumatic that it caused them to, to run in fear, to scatter. But then he said, but hey, I'll meet you in Galilee. There was this sort of sense, even in Jesus' use of the word, that it's not the end. That struggling, even a momentary loss of faith, even a, a, a few bad days, even a bad period of time, doesn't necessarily mean all is lost. It is not all completely over. You know, I've been a Christian more than 20 years now. Many of you have been probably Christians that long. And I can say that 
in those 20 years, I've had some good times and I've had some bad times. I've had some ups and I've had some downs. Early on, there were the challenges of just sort of becoming the new person, fitting into a new lifestyle, repenting of stuff that, that I had been doing and I didn't really want to do anymore anyways. But there was just that struggle of letting it all go and redefining myself. And that was awesome. It was great. It was exciting. And then somewhere in the middle, I was in a circumstance beyond my control that wore on me. It really just ground on me. I couldn't change it. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Those of you that have lived long enough, you know what that's like. Where a long period of time, things just aren't getting better. They're not what you hoped for. And that just starts to weigh on your faith. I don't know about you, but for me, what happened is character weaknesses started popping up. Like my, 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 there was areas I was weak in my character and I started to tr stumble and fall there. Even old sin crept back into my life. And, and there were many times where it seemed like uh, you know, every day here I was stumbling and losing faith and, and falling away. But it would pass and I would pick myself back up and I would keep trudging forward. But it went on for years like that. And then, by the grace of God, I realized I needed to get myself under control. I needed to repent again of my sin. I needed to get it back under control. I needed to step up in the department of my character. And, and by the grace of God, I was able to sort of get myself above water again, start repenting of my sin. The situation hadn't changed, but I was doing better. And then lo and behold, God changed that situation. And for the past many years, I've been back to loving my Christian life. And yes, it has its new sets of challenges, but they're different and they're not grinding on me. They're not breaking me down. And, and I feel like I've come to a new place. Yeah. I have one point today and I'm actually going to make it right now. Here's the point. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Jesus promised the disciples that after a time of failure, they were going to meet him again in Galilee. He promised them safe arrival at their destination, but he never promised them a smooth journey. And the same is true for you and I. Jesus promises us success in the long run. He promises us we're going to arrive safely at our destination but let me tell you, it's not going to be a smooth ride to get there. And so we can't ever forget that if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Don't give up. Don't give in. Because Jesus has not given up on you. Listen, guys, I know you're going to mess up here. You're going to fall away. You're going to have this momentary lapse of faith. But when it's over, I'll see you in Galilee. We'll get there. We'll make it. Now listen, I'm not condoning my sin or anyone else's or being faithless. I mean, this is not a, hey, go ahead and send it up, it doesn't matter kind of point. I'm just saying... If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. 
verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So if you remember from the map, Gethsemane was a garden and it was just alongside the green road that head out of, headed out of Jerusalem up the Mount of Olives. It was actually on kind of the side of the hill of the Mount of Olives. And it was, a, it was an olive garden. It was where the olive trees were. And in the middle, of the, or in the olive garden, there was a press, big stone press where they would take the olives and they would put them in there and they would press them and pull the oil out of them. That's what the name Gethsemane means, oil press. Now, the garden was very familiar to the disciples. The other gospels tell us that it was actually a frequent hangout of Jesus. He would, he would stop there quite often. In fact, as they would visit Jerusalem and they stayed in Bethany, as they would go up and over the Mount of Olives, they'd stop there, maybe before they go into the city to get a little break, enjoy the shade, whatever. And then maybe when they were leaving the city, going back out of Bethany, he would stop there, enjoy the shade, maybe do some praying, whatever, and then head back to Bethany. So it was a, it was a, it was a, a normal place for Jesus to have gone. The disciples were probably thinking, oh yeah, we'll stop there, take a break, then we'll head on over and get into Bethany really, really early in the morning at some point. And in the garden, there was a, what they call a grotto. A grotto is like a half cave. Think of it like that. And so it was probably a good meeting spot. And it's probably where Jesus said, uh, sit here while I pray. And so it was there that he had the disciples to sit down. And then he would, the story goes on to say that he asked three of the disciples to come with him. And he went a little further away and he prayed with them. And he had this time of struggle. Maybe you don't realize that, but Jesus in his humanity struggled like you and I struggle. The whole story of the Garden of Gethsemane is Jesus in that oil press moment, in that struggle moment. I was in an oil press moment for several years in my Christian life, and it was, it was you know, squeezing me, and I was having a rough time. It was hard to get through it. Jesus had the same kind of moment. He experienced that kind of pressure and that struggle to be faithful and to not lose faith and to to get back up. And that's what the Garden of Gethsemane represents to us as Christians. It was his it was his oil press moment. It was his time of struggle. Which brings me to how I want to end today's message. I'm going to do something very different. Something that we've never done before that I can think of. And I want it to be very experiential. I want us to kind of partner. I want to share this with you. So in the Judeo-Christian tradition, there is a long history of public reading of Scripture. It's where they would just gather and they would just read the word of the Lord out loud. There would be no commentary. There would be no instruction the point wasn't to make a point. The point was to just listen to the story. Did you know that 75% of the Bible is just story? Only 25% is actual instruction. And so the Bible was actually meant to just be read and listened to, and read over and over again to, to the point to where the story just becomes in your mind. It, you internalize it. It becomes a part of who you are. And you know why that is? Because when you're in your olive press moment, when you're in your moment of struggle, whether it's short or long, 
I don't want you to try to remember something I said at some sermon. I want you to remember what Jesus did in his moment of struggle. And so what I want to do is I want to end our time today by reading just the rest of the story. The rest of the story of Jesus in the garden. I have a couple of, two or three requests of you. Number one, I want you to experience it. So let yourself go there. Let yourself imagine it. Let yourself be there. Maybe you're relatively new. The story's not that familiar. That's okay. It's a pretty simple, straightforward story. It's easy to follow. Those of you that know the story very well and have heard it many times over, maybe kind of open yourself up to experiencing it again anew. Let it just sink into you. The goal, again, is just to remember it. It's not to make a point. I'm not going to have any commentary. It's just to remember it. Because like I said, I want you to remember it when you're in your olive press moment. Secondly, I want you to remember that because, just because you struggle and you may lose faith from time to time, it doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean you've lost faith. Remember, try, try again. So I want that in the back of your mind. And then lastly... <laughs> I want you to stand. One of the things that was customary when they read scripture in public was for the congregation to stand. There's something about the posture of standing and giving your full attention that matters. It helps you to hear the story maybe differently than you might have if you sit sitting down and you're playing with your phone or you're trying to write a note. Don't do any of that. Stand and give God your full attention attention. When I'm done reading, I'm going to ask that we have an open time of prayer. It's another thing that our ancient brothers and sisters of faith used to do. They would pray together. It was a time of corporate prayer and anyone can pray. You can be a member. You can be not a member. You can be a young Christian. You can be an old Christian. You can be a young person. You can be an old person. Feel free to pray. Now, maybe you'd like to just pray quietly to yourself or listen to someone else who's praying out loud. That's totally fine. But I would encourage you, if you're comfortable, to say a prayer out loud and let everyone hear what you heard in the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So like I said, this is a little different. It's meant to be experiential. And it's meant to make you, to, to help you walk out of here and remember the story. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to ask the ushers to bring the lights down so we can get rid of any insecurity. And at this time, I'm going to ask everyone to stand up. Before I do, I just want to acknowledge that Tony and Candace are back with us with their brand new baby, Pierce. She did a great job. Congratulations. Welcome back. He's beautiful. But what I'm going to do is I mean, do me this favor now. Let's be family. Come across a little closer to each other, across the aisles. You could put an arm around each other. You could hold hands. You can stand privately and you know, separately. That's okay too. Now, if you'll indulge me one last thing, I'm going to try to read it with some emotion. Okay? 
Please don't judge me. Why we turned out the lights. But I want to read it because I want to, I want to try to make us emote and connect to the passage as best as I can. We're going to read it. When we're done, I have a brother in the audience who will open up with an open time of prayer. We'll go a few minutes. When it feels like it's about time to finish, I'll close us out in a prayer and we'll be done. So let's read the word of God. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here. Keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he turned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you'll not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Pray. Father God, thank you for your son, for the sacrifice that he willingly went through on our behalf, that we could have a relationship with you. And uh, we pray that I don't take that for granted, that I remember his presence being bruised, his blood being poured, that he did this for me and everyone around me did this so that I could have life and uh, share that life with others. Pray that these words really resonate among us and uh, we can go out and share that with others around us. God, thank you for Galilee. Thank you for meeting us there. God, I thank you that it's not the end when we fall. I thank you for your 
unending mercy and forgiveness that I've experienced so many times, and I pray that uh, I'll never take that for granted and always be willing to get back up uh, and keep my eyes fixed on the, on the goal. Yeah. opportunity to worship you today for this very moment for the reminder that your son struggled <laughs> that he was real that he bled out sweat out of his poor for father it is precisely this moment that unifies your church that makes us true followers because we worship you we, rem we remember this and we remember the times when we were struggling, that we shared in this world and sin. Father, we praise you, we love you, and again, thank you for your mercy and for your salvation. We pray in your son's name. Amen. God, thank you for showing us that sometimes God's will is hard. Mm -hmm. Even you struggle. 
thank you for showing us that we can be forgiving, that the people you love the most betrayed you. Mm. You knew they would. You loved them still. You met them still. You forgave them. You led them. And they showed us the way. God, thank you for giving us hope that those kind of relationships can be fixed. If we follow you, follow your example, that God's will be done. Amen. Abbas, who am I to be able to approach your throne with any confidence? I am so desperate for you. Every day I need you. I know that um, when I studied the Bible, this moment, Gethsemane, is what converted my heart and soul. It is what convinced me that I needed you more than anything else in this world. I pray that you can convert our hearts again right now in this mm-hmm. moment, God. Um, I pray that you can convince us that the world is, is empty, it's dark, it's cruel, and that with you there's hope for salvation, with you there's hope for for everything that our hearts desire, God. Um, I pray that, uh, a special prayer that you can give me the strength and the wisdom, my husband and I, to lead our son to Jesus. Mm-hmm. To lead our son to you, God, and to help our little family make it to heaven, as well as all of the neighbors. God, I pray that your spirit would move in this room right now, and as we leave this room, God, that you can just give us um, the courage and the boldness to reach out and remind people and invite people into a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. That is the reason why we're here today, because we we had nothing, and we knew nothing until we, we sat down and sat down with God. Um, I pray, God, that, that um, our lives would be uh, a fragrant offering. Our lives would encourage you, that us being here today, celebrating and worshiping and singing, that it encourages your soul, God. Amen. Father, it is so great to be together as a family praying to you with other faithful people, believers. We pray that your story gets deep into our hearts. It's incredible to think about how simple yet how clear the story is, how powerful it is, how meaningful it is. We're so thankful that Jesus went to the cross for us, that he endured what he endured so that he could meet them in Galilee, he could meet us in heaven, that we could experience a whole different type of life, not without struggle, but with a good and glorious end. God, we're so thankful for this time to be together. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So let's go ahead and bring the lights up. Give the guy next to you or the girl next to you a hug or a handshake. So uh, we're going to dismiss now, but I want to make sure that I'll see you next week, not in Galilee, but right back here at 1030 for worship. You are dismissed. Good job, man. Thank you. You got the sound? Yeah, you got it, right? Thank you, man.